So the Buddha's presentation of what citta lives with, what awareness, what presence, what that fundamental knowingness, receptivity lives with. Uh, Define it either in terms of um, six sense bases, which is obviously seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, and thinking. And there's another alternative. None of this actually is what you are or defines you. It's changeable, it's unreliable, including your thinking. doesn't mean it has no relevance, it's just not your fundamental home. You you don't expect to be satisfactory, stabilizing, comfortable, complete in itself. And don't despair because there's jitta. You can step away from that, you can contemplate it. Even more tellingly, presented another matrix within which jitta dwells which kind of coincides with it. This is called the five kanda, or the five aggregates. Uh, this is a particular analysis that's peculiar to the Buddha, uh, to Buddhism. So you might say he is, you know, the one that the Buddha obviously felt, right, you know, this comes from an enlightened mind. Mm. It's very deep. But he said it's through uh, dispassion towards these that you weed out the defilements and the compulsions that bind the chitta to the world of suffering, aging, sickness and death. It's through weeding out the attachments, compulsions, clinging, fear, resistances, fascination with these, through weeding those out, through becoming cool about all that, through no longer being bound up in that, that the citta is liberated from aging, sickness, death, defilement, suffering, birth and death. So a big topic. <laughs> and so what are the five aggregates? Once again, form. Experience of something manifesting its presence as a solid thing. Generally this physical form, materiality, is the most obvious example of this. We might even say mental forms. You know, Something sticks in your mind, becomes an oppressive influence, mental form. Uh, you know, um, supernormal forms, you know, demons, fairies, ghosts, you know, something that occupies space has a certain permanent experience of permanence to it. Uh, you pick it up, and consciousness that arises in consciousness with the arising of form, with consciousness, there's a sense of I am that which notices a form. I am that 
you know, which is in a form. I am that which is confronted by a form. I am that which rejoices in a form. I am being conditioned by a form. I don't like it, or I do like it, you know, but I, my center, my awareness, my chitta is definitely being stimulated one way by the experience of form. Uh, and around this, qualities of fundamentally of, of fascination, distaste, delusion start to crystallize. Mm. And so we take bodily form, you know, very obvious one, what we experience, we call my form, your form, and the various qualities of distaste, fascination, and so forth. And because, of course, this form, which seems to be substantial and solid, is not that way at all. It's constantly changing and shifting. Uh, it doesn't go anywhere, really. It just goes through a cycle of birth and death. Uh, right, and that's what it does as a form. So which one are you, the two-year-old, the nine-month-old, the 86-year-old, the 25-year-old, which is your form? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense, does it? Except that when you look in the mirror, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> With whatever you feel about that. Uh, oh, you know, getting older. Generally, not, you're getting older, you're considered not good. Well, if you're 10-year-old, it's, it's good. After about 25, it's no longer good. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so, you know, that's what even that level of chitra is, is kind of definitely affected by that change in form. <laughs> and yet, can you do anything about it? And so, with some dispassion, you say, This is just the form, it's not myself. What is this sense of searching for selfhood about? What is substantial? What is permanent? What is lasting? What I can rely upon as a constant reference point that doesn't change? What can I rely upon as a constant reference point that doesn't keep shifting and changing and is independent from that? Well, this body isn't. (laughs) That's not it. Okay. Even consciousness itself, you know, visual consciousness gets impaired, you get short-sighted, long and of course it's limited to what human visual organs can detect. We can't see that way that an eagle does. Butterflies pick up infrared. We have a, we have a particular spectrum we can see, so we're limited by that. And what we see dazzles us, astounds us, uh, exasperates us, disgusts us. Hmm? which is definitely moved around by what we're conscious of yeah. and by the limitations of it. I can't see so, I can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I? Disoriented. So you don't find a stable place in that, even in mental consciousness. You know, you can go from sleepy, dull, you know, unfortunately intoxicated, uh, having a definitely a bit of a psychotic experience, um, most of us get some kind of, you know, uh, degeneration of our rational faculties as we age. 
you get embarrassed because you can't remember people's names, you've forgotten where you put the car keys, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know, I'm an idiot, I'm a stupid old old idiot, you know, pathetic old idiot because I can't remember, I can't do calculus or I can't remember somebody's name. You definitely get moved by that. But what mental consciousness is changes. You know. Well you can know. So between those two references point you get feeling. Any such thing is a permanent feeling. A feeling that you can rely upon that doesn't shift and change. And they're always vacillating, wavering, suddenly shattered by something disastrous, suddenly surging with happiness or crashing with disappointment, worried, frightened, you know, feeling moving in and out. And it's very powerful because it affects us absolutely with feeling you don't have a choice. Physical feeling, your body just does it. Mental feeling, you do have a choice. Just about. <laughs> yeah. You can work on that. Yeah. You can feel that surge of disappointment and step back and okay. pass. Because mental feelings based upon something called perception. Perception is the mental take on things, the apprehension of something, how things strike me. Mm. The impression something makes on me, which is conditioned. Yeah. I don't like this, that tastes bad to me. Therefore, ugh. But actually, it's possible to not experience that. Do you like camembert? Ugh. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Taste, we get very, very strong in different perceptions. And they can change. This friend of mine is spending a few years living in, in southern India. And first of all, you think, I can eat this food. It's, you don't eat the food, it eats you. It's <laughs> 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 kind of feeling this fire and stuff. And it took a while. And then after a while, he got used to it. And he really enjoyed it. And then English food, they're like, what's this dismal eating of blotting paper, you know? <laughs> no flavour in it. So it can shift and change, you know, and then the, the feeling follows the perception. You know, the perception, you get adjusting your tastes and preferences can shift, and then the, the feeling suddenly is something you dislike, you rather enjoy. And there's no stability in it. Is there such a thing as a good taste? Tastes good, does everybody agree upon? I doubt it. Same thing with visual phenomena. You know, people like certain art, and other people think it's rubbish. Music, what's that? That's horrible, crashing. That's great. Really get a rave on with that, you know. What's it sound like at two o'clock in the morning when you're going to get to some sleep? Horrible row. What happens if you're jigging around at a party? This is great. <laughs> perception. Is there such a thing as a permanent, lasting, reliable perception? Nope. Does it move you? Yep. <laughs> Can you step back from it? Yes. I don't favour this, but I don't resist it. Because <laughs> favouring resisting sets up the tide of feeling, and the tide of feeling runs in 
and starts rocking everything around. So, another aggregate, Sankara, difficult word to translate, but it is um, the different responses, responses that occur dependent upon perception, the jump, the surge, the recoil, that, you know, and then all the various formulations that come out of that. So first it's that kick of, oh yeah, oh no, same kind of volitional, it's called a volitional force, it pushes. So this one, of course, a lot of identity goes into that because this is where I get my signal to act. Right? From that kick, I get the signal, act. Right? So definitely my mind comes together into action mode around Sankara. I vote for that. I buy that. I avoid that. I argue with that. I resist that. I suppress that. The actor. And it gives a sense of I can do. So you could say a subtle sense of personal potency. I can make my own choices. I want that and I can get it. I don't want that and I'm not going to accept it. Sankara. Very much a person. Person is born there. Takes form there. Acquires their legs there. Acquires their hands there, you could say. You know, their doing comes up there. So, but can you rely upon it? Has anybody found a response, an impulse they can totally trust. Some of it, oops, that was a little bit of a mistake, wasn't it? Trial and error, learning curve, sorry about that. Try again, oops, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> can you step back from it? Yes, you can. There's that urge to do, to make, to stop. Yes, true. When I step back from it, I'm not negative about it. I'm just saying, how does it feel? Same with perception. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Just how does it, what does it do? What does it do when that flash happens? When that moment of recognition or of perception occurs, when the impression lands on me that she's this or he's that, what does it do? What happens? What happens when that impulse to act occurs? What does it feel like? This is meditation. Or cultivation or insight. Mm. There are two um, recommendations in that process. One is whatever impressions occur, let the actions that come from them let them be wholesome. Let them be kindly. Let them be clear. Let them be actions of integrity. Don't just jump with the first thing, but find your time, find your way and apply yourself carefully in a way you won't regret. 
it's the first basic set of advice you know and a lot of our cultivation is around ethics, integrity, loving kindness, clarity, restraint. Recognize if I don't restrain those impulses, you know, I could act in 10 seconds in a way that I'll regret for 10 years. So just pause and then, okay, then how does it feel? Feels a little bit aggressive. Let's just wait on that one. Uh, feels, it doesn't feel quite wholesome. So you're beginning to cultivate and really get a sense, not just from, you know, a judgmental viewpoint, what's socially acceptable or not socially acceptable, but what you feel. And you realize with this, you are actually bringing this chitta, this awareness, this presence, really bring it to the surface. To tell me, is this the right thing to do? Yeah. And it's not going to be what other people have told me. It might be, if you listen to wise people. Yeah. It's not going to be some, you know, law. It's going to be more subtle, more authentic, and coming straight from the heart. You're living an authentic life. And it can know. The beauty of it is, if you really keep referring your impulses to your chitta, to your heart, to your awareness, it sort of wakes up and it says, feels a bit dodgy to me, or feels slightly, you know, slightly devious, you know. Doesn't feel really clean and clear. Pause on that one. Because as you get wise, you realize, however I act, I'm going to get the results of that. <laughs> That's going to stay with me. Right? This is right view. Mm. You know? And so this then is very helpful in our social circumstances because as you probably would recognize, you know, in the social domain, it's, ah, never mind, nobody notices. It's all right, nobody will know. Everybody does this, come on. Don't like that. Oh no. <laughs> the most important person in the world knows exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and they live with me. Oh no. Whatever people say, oh don't worry about that. You know, nobody's gonna notice, you can get away with it. <laughs> you know, you don't once you start to hear any tonality like that, you breaks on, wait a minute. You know? So, could be, not because you're trying to be super superior, but just because you value your own welfare, <laughs> right? And you look around in in the world in general, it's really quite dismal. You know, the amount of conniving and duplicitous behaviour, and you know, stealing and tax evasion and corruption and cronyism and you know devious behavior that goes on and people find lawyers to swing it so they can get away with it if you've got enough money you can buy the law <laughs> right how did you get the money by breaking the law 
or finding a loophole. That's how you got it. Now you've got enough money, you continue to break it even better because you've got hired specialists who can help you do it. And it's all just about legal because, you know, something or the other. Well, you think, wow, this is systemic. Systemic. Isn't it? And if you look in the big picture, you think, well, actually, you know, that plays an enormous part in our social fabric. <laughs> our economic structures are based upon corruption and thievery. <laughs> Yeah. Like, did, do you know? Do you realise that? <laughs> it becomes more obvious, doesn't it? So, you think, well, you can listen to these people. You can listen to the messages that they're telling you. What do you think they feel like? You know? And you never know because you don't really meet these people and generally they're so out of it, you know, buried in their sense pleasures, buried in their. 15 mansion bedroom houses, they've got six of them buried in their drink, buried in their cocaine. Yeah, just jitters completely lost. Jitters lost, the heart is lost. Yeah, um, who knows? When the heart's lost, there's nothing that a human being will not do. When the heart's lost, there's no brutality they will not commit. And that's the horrible fact of it. And so people go to ruin through following those impulses. So you say, I don't want to, I don't want even a whisper of it because I value my welfare. This is one way one trains oneself. One looks carefully. And you want to get the balance whereby you can keep asking those questions so you're not running off your feet in too much of a hurry, following the social trend, following the timetable, so you don't ask these questions because you can easily get sleepwalked marched into you know dangerous stuff damaging stuff so yeah this is why we meditate and every day you've got to have that time just checking in you know values and over time that jitter will certainly come to the fore if you encourage it and it'll remind you because you, you get the signs and signals you know you begin to read the signs and signals this one's yeah this one's not genuine this one's going much too fast this one's not right you know you see the signs and signals and the lies mm. Then you find also you've got something you can trust. So just to practice that, you know, you think one has a treasure here. We have a natural wisdom sense, a natural empathetic sense. Naturally, when we're not under pressure, not bamboozled, not driven into factions, we naturally empathize with each other and care for each other. You know, and that's the truth. When we're not you know, cajoled into some kind of stupid attitude. Mm-hmm. But the further development, and of course, you know, once to add a little more to that, one of the skills of Sankara, volition, is to begin to cultivate deep calm through meditation. So you've got a really nice, comfortable, 
bodily mind state so you don't need very much because you feel really happy in your own presence and that's a benefit because once you can do that you can unhook the consumer consumerism which is the fundamental hook that's presented <laughs> with bits of bait on it if you can unhook yourself from that you've got a long way towards freedom how do you unhook you find your happiness elsewhere it's free it takes one breath it's free <laughs> you know and so you, you cultivate that that's good karma it's the karma of meditation now obviously you know there's <laughs> plenty you can get on with in that but just again to backtrack a little bit or to come out of it there's also the witnessing of Sankara this so to allow it to pass and to realize what's called the Asankata Sankara present the conditioned good conditions is what you aim for purifying and establishing cultivating good conditions mm-hmm. and that's necessary because the good condition of integrity calm supports the realization of the unconditioned because you now know you have an alternative to the compulsive to the condition to the social condition to the programming to the impulse you have you have control over impulse you have control over perception you have control over feeling you're not driven into them you can stand back you can resist you can change you know that so now you've got this ability to flex and the deepest flex is what happens when there's that settledness, stability, my need, my conditions are good enough. What is it that's aware of conditions? Turning back, turning back to chitta itself, unconditioned. The unhook from Sankara. Now, okay. clear enough this is a map you see and you know regrettably you know once you've been meditating for not very long you realize there is you could say you know there is a back room there's all the stuff that's going on right everybody knows that there's the stuff that's going on when you meditate you also know there's awareness of the stuff that's going on it doesn't take long to get to recognize that and you just keep developing in line with what keeps that awareness really open and more capable to, to not get compulsive about anything that's going on you know so you're widening and, and strengthening that propensity yeah so you don't have to and you realize some people don't have a back room it's just reaction 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 you know, so this is where you get the, the people just pushed. You know, where a lot of violence, for example, the awareness just that back room disappears or doesn't even establish itself. And you get you know wild, addictive behaviour. You know, switch to you know it's compulsive. There is no space around the thought. So if we've cultivated that. To the extent if we can have some space around it, we are beginning to 
what is that that is the path of freedom and it happens different ways a friend of mine taking a a group of uh, um, young men out in South Africa and some of them were from the Inkata Zulu party and some were from the ANC party which is two different factions and there was extreme violence between these two they killed each other regularly and it was a man's duty was to kill the enemy that was manly behaviour they're programmed into that so this is not just about having a different point of view (laughs) this is about reflex and they say they see the guy took them out into the Drakensberg mountains where they have to actually work with nature and survive they have to work with this raw elemental mountain wilderness and survive he said these and they formed, they started to bond with each other which was strange because one of them actually ki- had killed the other guy brother of the other guy on the other side so they had to recognise that and okay let's just sit down for a moment you know and how's that and uh, so they started to actually bond because they attuned to something which is beyond the social human conditioning which was our fundamental relationship to survive on planet earth we norm they normed they normalized around the most basic normal normalizing thing we are alive on this planet we only survive by helping each other <laughs> that's not an idea that's a reality and it's our reality too but we forget it we, we can compete right they couldn't the interesting thing was apart from that one of the men said I had this strange experience I realised that I didn't have to follow every impulse that happened in my mind I didn't have to follow them you know but he never, never experienced an impulse that he didn't follow <laughs> so just you know so this you could say what happened they normal they normalized and in the normalization process part of the, what it does is it takes you to awareness which stands outside of the details of the social conditioning of the conditioning and so without doing any so-called meditation it popped in his awareness opened up because he'd entered a norm yeah where the divisiveness of the conditioning had stopped and that affected him internally normalizing externally normalized internally interesting then so you know meditation can we trust that process how do we normalize what stops it what is the conditioning and uh, you know one of the conditionings of course we summarize as the I am conditioning I am this you are that right 
I stand on this, you stand on that, okay. <laughs> you know, this is my team, that's your team. This is my land, that's your land, right? That's the fundamental, you know, defective conditioning thing that we begin to acknowledge. The I am creates a you are, uh, you know, and then the normative process disintegrates and dukkha occurs externally and dukkha occurs internally, suffering externally, suffering internally, discord. I am, I want to be, why can't I be, why are you stopping me, what I need to be, what I've got to hold on to, am I right, am I wrong, and all it, everything gets disturbed and rocky, and internal turmoil begins, worry, anxiety, compulsive behaviour begins, because of that, that, that process. You know, use this clinical term attachment to the five aggregates. <laughs> you know, sounds kind of what's that? <laughs> yeah, it means there's that compulsive clench around perception. I'm one of these, you're one of those, right? <laughs> A compulsive clench. Then whatever volition arises around that, I don't like you, I, I want to be with you, whatever. I'm better than you are, or you're that. that things starts happening out of that from that basis and then you know the problems start hmm? a compulsive clench what's it trying to do it's trying to make I am feel secure that's what it's trying to do it's aiming for security which is a jolly good idea it's good to feel secure but the I am isn't going to do it it's, it's grabbing the wrong thing <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's compulsive it just happens in a blur it's like a wild blur reaching out for what of course security stability but you don't you don't find it in the I am it doesn't mean it's not there and so the Buddha said I teach the secure the safe the island the refuge no grasping no attaching Stop that, you're open into bite, just relinquishing, grasping, it will open for you. Right? You don't have to get it, you just have to s- stop the attaching process and it opens by itself. Right? The back room opens up, becomes the main room, <laughs> becomes your living room. So okay, where does it, where does that process occur? And so we start to look. Okay, I get a bit a bit some dispassion around form with a bit of work. You know, yeah, not mine, self. There it is. So okay, live with it. You know, uh, feeling, ooh, mental feeling. Ooh, okay, I can bear with that. Let it move through. I didn't really like that. But there it goes, and I can find a place in that back room where that feeling just moved through gives me some choice the big one probably is Sankara because this is where I I become something I'm now the, the agent first of all the perception tells me I'm an object this is happening to me and then I act I become something, I, I act. So that's the real big thing. And of course, as we see in our uh, social context, 
action is de rigueur it's required essential don't be lazy uh, so action is required and as we see as action becomes work as action becomes work then the ethical aspects sort of not so important as getting the job done the empathetic aspects not as important as getting the job done um, the sensitivity aspects not really that important mostly get the job done um, the mindfulness aspects not too important <laughs> to get the job done in fact they kind of get in the way <laughs> but we can provide you with your I think this was it Amazon providing people with like a kiosk where they could chill out for 10 minutes <laughs> so they get back to work quicker and better so, so you kind of it's like you know the boxing ring you get on the stool for a while they, they fan you for a while and they throw you back in for another 15 rounds <laughs> so you're getting these chill out kiosks in these kind of slave camps <laughs> so just so they get better productivity out of you we love you so much thank you <laughs> we'll give you more wages it'd be helpful <laughs> so you know you think wow so even, even that can become a commodity can't it <laughs> even that can become another commodity you get your 10 minutes that's enough get back to work so it's just so you know without really making a choice of one's own we get shaped and then out comes the praise and blame here comes the promotion or the or the getting sacked getting fired and so definitely conditioned towards this discarding ethical sense uh, internal quality altogether the internal sensitivity not very important mostly productivity so we see something like that occurring and then right livelihood becomes extremely significant no longer so much whether you're selling drugs or weapons but are you wrecking your are you wrecking your jitter on a daily basis <laughs> yeah or is it possible to you know find ways to remedy that now I think this is a huge topic but when we come to meditation practice we recognize there are different channels for this Sankara volitional energy to, to work to move through and the Buddha noted three kinds three aspects first was the bodily aspect which is that bodily energy that runs through you when, when you get an impulse that flash that running in the nerves it's just Kaya Sankara Kaya Sankara, bodily volitional force, volitional energy, body, bodily formation is called. It flushes you, you rise up. And heart or chitta sankara, which means we get emotionally motivated, we get interested, means we get annoyed, we get gladdened, whatever. The, the heart is shaped in a certain way, in a volitional way. And then we get what's called Vajji Sankara, which is the thinking process. So, you know, the thinking mind gets stimulated. All is do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do this, do that, do that, organize this, fix that, do that by Friday. Five of those, two of those, you know, spreadsheet, and graphs, and Google Calendar, 
date and time, 8.15, and cut that down, 10.15 train, and so on, so on, so on, so on. That one, right? Is one of those? <laughs> Is it nice? It's got a word for it. <laughs> Vajji Sankara. So it's a pretty vigorous energy. And of course, you pay for it. Because your mental process is extremely stimulated, and these three are all connected. So essentially, you just what do you do? You run the energy out of your body into thinking. <laughs> you drain the energy from your body into thinking. The body provides the fundamental energetic resource for all of it. Yeah, and as similarly the way we abuse the earth, drag all the resources from it to exploit it, a similar process to the body. We drain all the resources of the body into the thinking capacity. And at a point when it begins to have, you know, if it goes really far, you get neurological damage. You know, people start to numb out. Even more so, they get, we say, emotional damage. They become insensitive, brutalized, mm-hmm. indifferent, don't feel anything. So what? You know? So that's what happens if, the, if these are not in harmony. You know, if there's so much emphasis on the on any one of like on the Vajji Sankara, you drain energy from the body. If your heart energy is driven in a particular non-harmonious way, such as brutality, consumerism, greed, delusion, drains energy from your body and you get emotionally insensitive, numb. That's the way it works, and you can check that out in the public domain. You know, inflammatory propaganda, any of the isms, when people get fundamentalist, they lose their sensitivity and empathy. These were human beings, just like you and I, and they got programmed and through that programming the energy has got distorted extremely heightened up intense in certain areas and totally non not there in other areas okay that's another story but so we recognize we probably all in some ways experience some of this through our in thinking processes thinking processes are there to make things work properly, yeah. uh, and you know to get things organised properly, to get things tidied up properly, to make things sensible and okay. And it's a myth. It's you know, <laughs> nobody's ever been able to do it. No thinking system, no system of thought is able to explain reality. Right. It's never been done. Right. You know, if like you something like quantum mechanics, you know, these extremely erudite philosophers, you know, physicians, mathematicians, they're saying, finally, we can't say exactly what's going on. It all depends. And you think, well, yeah, well, I knew that. <laughs> the Buddha taught it 2,500 years ago. It all depends. It's called dependent origination. And yet, you're still trying to nail it down. It's 
still trying to nail it to get a thought system that will nail it down. A belief system or a political system that's going to work, a social system that's going to work, a conceptual structure that will work. And it's not it's not going to work because we're not a conceptual structure. Reality is not a conceptual structure. Reality is not a conceptual structure. <laughs> you can't catch the river in a net. It doesn't work. So really important, if you're relying upon your thinking to set you straight, it may set you rigid, but it won't get you in balance. Mostly what we need is drain. Drain the thinking, not just back into the body, which is connected to the earth. Things open, spaciousness occurs, normalizing, safety occurs. Jitta wakes up. Oh, it's safe out here. That nutty thinking person's gone away. <laughs> I can come out. She's not going to keep telling me what to do. She's not going to keep dumping her programs onto me and what I should be and shouldn't be. She's not going to keep trying to shake me up into some system or another. She's gone away. I can stick my head up, look around, you know. And that's what happens. You know. Oh. You know. <laughs> How does it feel? So then we start instead of relying upon conceptual systems to keep us straight, use them just enough, just enough to notice describe and point straight back to the heart. How does it feel? How does it feel? How do you sense that? How does it affect you? Can you be can you be with that? All of it. So that it arises and passes. It's not that things shouldn't arise but they arise and pass. Having arisen, you can't say, don't arise, they've arisen. Having had an unpleasant emotion arise, you can't say, stop it. You have to say, how does it pass? Having an irregrettable mind state arise, you can't say, I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have that thought, I shouldn't have that feeling, because I'm a, I'm a good person. No, no, wrong. It's arisen. You've got to open up to it, what does it need to pass, to pass through? Right? You're not a conceptual structure. You're not a fixed self. You may want to be a fixed self, understandably, but it's not possible. So if you think, I'm this kind of person who doesn't do this and never has that, you're in for a big surprise. If you think, oh, I'm a, I'm a sensible person, now I should meditate and get things sorted out, you're in for a big surprise. <laughs> it's very humbling. It's very humbling. You know, you know to realise actually, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, uh, but I can feel, I can be without uncertainty and, there is breathing in and out, 
there is a body, there is here-ness. When I trust that, settle in that, all those compulsive urges to make something, change something, fix something, improve something, be something, become something, get it sorted out, get away from it, label it as something, classify myself one way or another, stop. You know, this is the path to more suffering and stress. Believing the conceptual system to set you straight is the path to stress. You've got to get off it. And it doesn't mean going completely bananas. You know, it's actually finding more reliable guide, guide, guide than myself. finding something that's more reliable than myself. Why is this, it really is a, a mystical experience, not a piece of technology. So when we come to practice, you know, you have that sense of using, spanning your entire embodied experience. Here it is. Because, as I'm suggesting, those sankharas, particularly the habitual ones, they drain energy in the body, they shift energy into the body. So, by and large, I would suggest that for most of us, the head area is the largest bit of our body, by and large. The heat highlights are up there. Lower back, nothing much unless it hurts. You know, forearms, nothing much. Hands a little bit, but mostly it's face and head. Up here, where all the business is, the important bit is this bulb on top of my shoulders, right? That's where all the bustling and the energies come. So, relaxing, relaxing the temples, relaxing around the eyes, relaxing the forehead, relaxing the jaw, becoming more and more stupid. More stupid, brainless every day. And then, how does that feel? So we begin to renormalize the body so your energies begin to gather around the breathing channel. The breathing channel is the fundamental moderator of the Kaya Sankara. So it's not what your idea of breathing is, it's not your idea of counting breath. It's not your idea of your mind noticing your breath. That mind you need to put aside. Feel the breathing, what it does. And you begin to dismantle the models that you may have established. You feel breathing. What is it? It's a swelling, glowing, vibrant, shifting, rising of energy, pausing, opening, Declining, softening, opening. It's like waves moving through. Uh, And it's extremely um, supportive. And we stay with that. It begins to refresh, rebalance the body, refresh the entire nervous system. And to stay with it it requires a a kind of intelligence and an awareness that's non-conceptual. It's the awareness of sensitivity 
we associate with, say, the fingertips, uh, you know, which are very intelligent, but they don't conceive anything. Right? And if you touch something, you feel how much intelligence is in a, in a fingertip, and knows exactly about degrees of pressure, moisture, sharpness, softness. So that's the kind of intelligence we use. That kind of intelligence, bodily intelligence, goes straight to the heart. The heart feels comforted because we're really operating through an intelligence that's natural, embodied, is the heart's home base. It's not abstract. It's non-conceptual. It's felt. It's intimate. It's yours. And then you begin to sense that. That's where the energies begin to moderate and settle. And if you're, uh, and then you can use that intelligence when you're walking. Not what you think walking is. Not what you think it is, but just the experience of the fluidities of the body as it negotiates this whole process of an anatomy, a delicate anatomy, standing in a very precarious position and accomplishing movement without falling over. Pretty amazing, really. Uh, Standing without leaning on something, without fidgeting. and, and so you cultivate these, and for what they bring, the benefits, the harmony, the, the steadiness that they bring, for what they dismantle, what they dismantle, the driven, the driven, the self, the ego structures, the compulsive, the socially conditioned, what they dismantle, and they give you an alternative. This is why we cultivate them. They are our safeguard. They are our refuge. They are our guide. Therefore we cultivate them. Uh, This is the path to the deathless. Not following this is the path to death. That's why we cultivate. 